we are back. You're listening to You Would Think, the Philadelphia Flyers podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Collington, and joining me today, the one and only Mr. Kevin Durso. How are you, bud? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. If it, this first, it feels like the first real significant show. We were here last week, and we were talking about the, the season opener and et cetera, et cetera, but we're sitting here one week further along, uh, October 24th as we record, and there's actual, real, tangible hockey to talk about. It's obviously a little too early to talk about sample sizes, but we at least have a couple more games uh, under our belt. Um, it's a pretty good week to be a Flyers fan, huh? Uh, you know, it's kind of an in-between sort of thing. Like, I think that there's room. It, it's, it's room for your typical October. There's room to be skeptical. There's room to be excited. There were positives. There were negatives. There were good results. There were games that they probably could have they could have possibly won that they didn't you know it's better than talking about just one i'll say that it's absolutely also only, it's also only four right. so we can't go too insane here and, and and you know what i think that when we look at this week in general it's exactly what i was trying to say a couple of weeks ago it's if you thought they were look i'm not saying here sitting here saying it wouldn't be nice if they came out of the gate with a big win streak it, of course it would but I kind of said this is it could be in October. That's a bit of a mixed bag because bit of a slow not, start. And and I don't think it's a slow start yet necessarily. No, absolutely not based on the results. You're four games in. You could have eight points. You have five. That's not a bad thing. I, if nothing else, and I, I we'll we'll go through each. Yeah, game. we're gonna go game by game I, here. I think that when you look at the end of the week and the way that Saturday goes you at least like the attitude coming out of it because the fact that I don't know about everybody else, but if your captain turns around and says, well, it was there and a win and a loss in that particular game is the difference between a great homestand and a just okay one. Yeah. If they win like, that game and get seven points on the homestand, uh, we're, we're pretty happy here. Well, especially when you considered where we were last Sunday talking about it, right? Like when we came on and did, our, did the show last week, we're sitting here talking about a game where we're like, well, take the take the point because that's a, you know, you didn't have any reason to get one. So, yep. you know, and to, to consider that they were three minutes away from nothing in that first game to, well, they got a point out of it. And then as the week progressed, you're talking, you know, one game, win, two, uh, second game, win, third game, right there, go into the third period, you okay. know. Very competitive, very much. I didn't see, to be honest, the negatives are very easy to point out from a game like that. And it mostly had to do with discipline. It mostly had to do with a couple of turnovers against a team that's all about transition. Yeah, we'll talk about Nick Sealer later on. <laughs> that's not even the worst one. I know, but there were a couple pretty bad ones. But let's, nothing, we'll, that might be the one that actually you should you could have looked at and gone, geez, you know, you're you're really overcalling stuff like like that doesn't get called most of the time. To be well, honest. the the officiating in Saturday night was, but there's challenging because there was one ref on the ice for most of the yeah, game. Yeah, I don't know if you realize this. Now you know that I put a little bit of an emphasis on who the officials are for a game and sometimes right. go into it to like if we see this. That was an NH an NHL referee who had all of 39 career games to his credit. One of the linesmen was making his NHL debut. So you lost your veteran guy because when you the, lose the senior official, the official tough. was the official who left was Gord Dwyer. Yeah. And you lose. So not only do you lose the veteran official, but you lose the guy who 
is going to take half of the ice for you or who should take half of the ice. So he's going to make calls. This other guy is going to make calls from 100 Poor feet angles. away if he has to. And we saw that a couple times. And but. for what it's worth, the guy's stats, by the way, because scouting the refs does a great job with stuff like this. He's like third in the league in most penalties called per game. Or oh, something so it like was that. already going to just so be He's a, already right. a guy who calls a lot. And now he's doing it by himself. So there were, what was the grand total? 11 penalties in the game? It was a lot. It might have been more than that. But... I think I think it was 11 because okay. it was seven. Florida had seven power plays. And the Flyers ended up with four. Okay. And they were some of them were not full-on two-minute right. deals. But it was, you know. Well, that's Saturday night. Right. It's rough for game flow. Let's just put it that way. But before Saturday night, let's let's start at the beginning of the week. Oh, here we go. Because we talked let's, about it uh, last week. And on Monday evening, Dave Haxtall and Seattle Kraken came to town for their first trip to South Philadelphia. And <sighs> welcome back, Dave. We gave, <laughs> we gave Dave Haxtall a game that he should be very, very familiar with. We blew his doors off. Oh, I'll say. Uh a game he should be familiar with. A warm welcome to the Seattle Kraken as the newest team in the NHL. Here's a 6-1 decision. Thumping. You know? And yeah. up until that point, Seattle had played one-goal games with teams that we expect to be decent this year. What's really funny is I did I did an on-air spot. That was the only day I went on-air this week because you, and you know how this goes. It's it's early in the season. It's it's still very much. I mean, let's put this way. If I, I without trying to get too much into everything else, because I know we are a flyer podcast specifically, so we're not going to get into every other team in the city. But the Sixers started this week. Things are busy the, in in, in and, Sixer land, well, and the Sixers have their own issues that are. They just have the biggest story in basketball happening. So right, that almost takes that takes more precedence than anything on the court. To be honest, so you had that story. You had them actually playing games. It's whatever. It doesn't matter what the Eagles do. It's still football season, so football kind of still. It's Philadelphia and the Eagles. We know how that it goes. It still overshadows yeah. a lot of stuff. So to be honest, actually, I was a little surprised I even got asked on Monday. It was the only reason I can think of was is it was not a post Eagles day. It was it's not a post Eagles Monday. That's exactly right. it. It wasn't in that case. But no, but see, at the same time, like I, I, it would never shock me like during the season if like like, like yesterday they could have had like. I don't think they had their afternoon show. That's why. But if they would have asked me yesterday, "Hey, the Flyers are playing the Panthers. The Panthers are a four and O team, and the Flyers are two O and one." So it's very clearly like this could be another one of those testers. Right. Come on the air. So that was the only day I went on the air, and I turned around earlier that day and said, "Hey, listen, I don't know. Like, obviously, most people who I would be speaking to that would be listening probably don't know so much about the teams that come in. Right. So I'm trying to sit there and explain at that point." Seattle's been competitive. You're talking about a game that they were down three nothing in that they rallied back and got with got tied before they lost it in regulation by a goal. Right. They win their first game in franchise history and then they lose in overtime. Yep. They've played three really competitive games. It's a one one and one team, and I, I would expect a competitive game. Not I don't know, like at the end of the day, I think that we both were in agreement. We kind of hinted at this on previous shows. It's a game you probably should win still. We felt like yes. on paper it was a game that should be won. But I wasn't sitting there, especially after looking at the way they played Vancouver, I wasn't sitting there looking at it going, well, this here comes the blowout. Not not a chance. No. Here comes the blowout. Maybe no, I was win. thinking maybe like a 4-2 game, kind of, kind of what exactly. we ended up getting on like Saturday. Yes, exactly. I certainly so, wasn't expecting a drubbing. 
but it was the way that it like it, it was almost the way that it happened because it wasn't even this was almost the opposite of the six one games that we would see when they were when the Flyers were winning six one two years ago. Instead of it being worn down and late, like here's the third period. Now here comes the goals. Here comes two in short order. Here comes a third. You know whatever you know all that stuff. This was three nothing out of the gate. To be honest, I was shocked that Grubauer came out for the second period. Yeah, I, I don't Not know if Grubauer had gotten any rest yet, and I think they were just looking at it and going, all right, well, he's given up three in the first. It's a good opportunity to give him an early night. Well, they had the issue that I had with that was is they had another game the next day. Oh, and okay. and either you're going to do that right away or you're not going to do it at all. So as it really started to stretch on, I'm like, well, he's just in for the long haul. That's it. And then they pulled him at five nothing in the second period. And I'm going, what are you doing? Classic Dave. Who, who admitted after the game, I should have done it a goal earlier. Right. You either pull him early enough that he can start the next day for you, or you just leave him in there and risk yourself a Patrick Waugh situation. But the, okay, but so the interesting part about this game then, we, like, because again, it was an early scoring barrage with the three goals in the first period. It's nice to see that. But that wasn't the first eight minutes of the game. It was really they were on their heels for a lot of it. I mean, you had to get bailed out, and when you had a, you had the types of goals that we were talking about. And I, obviously, I don't have we don't save the tabs from one week to the next. Right. But last week, did we not have a banner that pulled up that we just because we had to talk about it? Are people concerned about Carter Hart? And he made a save that changed that whole game. There, that that's one nothing. It should be one nothing Seattle. Yeah, I I want to bring up the uh, Carter Hart conversation a little bit later on in the show after we talk about these games here because he didn't play all three games this week he did get a rest against boston and but i Carter want to Hart had a pretty good week and we'll talk about that a little bit later on and i want to talk about why he didn't play against boston because everybody was waiting for it and it was very justified there, what was done yeah there's no need there's no need to push him this early in the season well for the same reason i'll, I'll explain something else too because there's another reasoning that goes into Saturday as well, that I go, there's a reason something else happened this well, week. Well, honestly, I don't know how much we have to go in-depth to Monday. We kind of just, the Flyers just kind of beat a team that wasn't really on. I, I do want to touch on a couple things from that game, though. Okay, because yeah. it, first, first, first of all, we have to talk about the save, because the save was every, I mean, that was, I don't, I don't know, I don't even know where to start to rank it, because he's had a save like that in just about every year. He had the save, <sighs> on, there was a save against Vancouver as a rookie. Where he or yeah, it was still his rookie year, I think, right? Where he dives across a crease and makes the save with the stick. Yep. There was a save on Taylor Hall two years ago. That might be my favorite still. Actually, the same year, he made a quite possibly a better one on Miko Rantanen that doesn't even get talked about because they didn't win the game. I remember the one. It was <laughs> Carter Hart has pulled out some spectacular moments right. year over year. For and sure. this was really truly spectacular because of the fact that this is, I mean. I don't even know why it wasn't just a one-touch deal. I, I know what Jordan Everly's trying to do. Trying to settle it and make sure it goes he in. He to settle it and then make sure it goes in, but he didn't. He settles it to his backhand, which you had everything. You had every reason to just push it forward, and it probably could have crawled across the goal line. We've seen that a, where, a thousand where times was, where you're just batting at it and it trickles in. Because it was exactly what it was. It was a backdoor play. It should have resulted in a goal, and he makes a save. And I think it it got everybody up and everybody going all of a sudden because how long did it take after he made the save? A minute? Not long. And then it, and and here and and look at what you get. By the way, a nice rush the other way. Here comes your captain. 
big slap shot, one timer in the net. You, it's not too often you see a team band together and decide they're not losing a game that early in a game. But they made that Carter Hart made that save, and you saw the rest of the team go, "All right, we're rewarding him for that." Right. Let's go. And they played the rest of the period like the 1997 Detroit Red Wings. And I'm exaggerating, but like you get what I'm saying. No, but you got goal scorers, goals kind of in every sort of way. One-timer, rebound goal after a nice play, and the dirty but good kind where you go, hey, look, it's just throw it on net and see what happens, and something happens. And it was – this is across the board. I mean, you got uh, Drew and Konechny are your top line. They contribute right away. And then the second line's in on it because Broussard gets the goal, and that was not the first time they were in on it because then they then they contribute later. And and if you continue along with the process, like Justin Braun is in on a, basically a two on zero with Travis Sanheim because of a nice play and just looks and, him off and scores there too. So now it's five nothing, and Justin Braun has scored his first goal of the year in the second goal of the season. And yep. you're like like just go home after that, just go home. Like it's over. <laughs> Uh, that game also included Derek Broussard's first as a flyer and Ryan Ellis's first as a flyer. Worth the, Ellis, the Ellis goal was pure perfection. Board battle won. He calls for it loudly, by the way, because it was pretty audible. You could hear it on and TV. You could hear it. And he's just there. And, and that, that pass is perfect. I mean, I don't. I, you have to love what the, a guy who makes. $825,000 is giving you. Derek Broussard has... It's a little bit of an understatement to say that Derek Broussard has earned his spot at this point. So Derek Broussard is obviously not going to surpass Kevin Hayes, and when Kevin Hayes is healthy, he's going to be the 2C. But every... He might be, but here's the thing. How do you break them up right now? Easy. You put Kevin Hayes in there, and Hayes, Farabee, Atkinson is going to be ridiculous. Ridiculous. I, I don't know though, because see, here's the thing: you could know you because you can roll. I'm not saying I understand where you're coming from, but you could uh, see. You know what you could do at the very least right now, if he was ready, and he's not. Obviously, he can't right. be because he's he's out for the first ten games. You're which, by the way, if you're without somebody like that and you're four games in, and you can sit there and say you're two one and one, you're feeling pretty good about it. You're him. doing all right. Something's working for you without him, but. You can almost ease him back in, in that start way. Start him in sheltered minutes. Like, yep. why wouldn't you if you if he were able to come back Wednesday? I had to like I want to say tomorrow, but like let's be real. Um, you just pop Nate Thompson out and have him play Nate Thompson's eight or nine minutes no, a night, whatever. No, it is. I bump I, no, I bump Scott Lawton back down and I say you go between JVR and Oscar Lindblom, and you still have a formidable line that has scoring potential at that point. You can't deny that they haven't scored much, but. You can't deny that there's a there. And well, and add, but add a player like Hayes because some Lawton's got the only goal on that line so far. Okay, but I just watching Hayes, or I'm sorry, watching Farabee and Atkinson. You can't touch them. I've got to leave them out there at the, on the, at the same time. I don't know, man. They're fun to watch when they're when they're going, but when they have the puck, though. Well, that's what I'm saying. You got to leave yeah. them on the line together yep. because they're they're working so well together. I mean, we can we'll shift it to that this later because we're going to go into the second game of the week where they were really the shining stars. I mean, when you don't need your top line, you know, 
you don't need your top line to be at the best. And this is what I was trying to say all offseason was I'm not trying to downplay the importance of a guy like Claude Giroux, but you don't want him to be the go-to guy. If, you, know, if you don't if, want if him he, to have to be. Right. Now, if he's out there scoring three goals in four games to start his season, good for him. Claude looks good. That power play slap shot is in mid-season form. I'll tell you that much. It's harder than it was in the last couple of years. He's really firing with authority. Well, he had a second kid now, so there's twice as much dad strength. Fair enough, and, and, and Travis Konechny's got the dad strength, too, so that's why he's looking vintage as well. There it is. It's, it's the dad line, somehow, with 22-year-old Travis Konechny, or however old Travis Konechny is uh, at that point. He's probably 24. 24, 25-ish, yeah. Um, well, you're right, though, because then all, you're right. All three of them do possess the dad line. strength. Uh, <laughs> there you um, go. Because... Uh, when when did, when did Couturier have fairly come, recently? I do remember he was it happening before last season, right? He was before I think last so. season. Yeah, so I mean, there's a lot of them now. I mean, you kind of can't deny it when you get the team when, is when just kind of growing up well, together. Well, right. well not, it's not just that when you increase your average age over the off season to like 28 or 29, I think you're going to have a few parents on the team. When you sign a guy like Keith Yandel. I don't know, man. The average age of the team dropped pretty significantly when you let Brian Elliott walk away. It did, but you brought it. You added Yandel, you added Atkinson, you added uh, Broussard's. I mean, in, Broussard's you swapped Voracek for Atkinson. They're about the same age. Yeah, Broussard's older, though. Okay, that's fair. Because Broussard's <laughs> another one in his. Because Broussard's been around and he's in his mid 30s. He's played for, like, what, nine different teams? Something, something like, like that. that. I think there was a stat somewhere. I, Almost I all of them in the Metro. Pretty much. I mean, I, I went back and I found a highlight from like because at it, you know, just going through different games or whatever. And sometimes you rewatch something just on chance or whatever. He was playing for Pittsburgh like three years ago, and and doing well. He was like a like, big pickup for Pittsburgh. He was their big yeah. playoff pickup, wasn't he? Yeah. Um. I, what you're talking about? Like, I guess in the year they would have been going for three in a row. Yeah. And they, did, and they didn't win, but right. yeah, I think you're right. Um, but either way, uh, Atkinson and Farabee, man, they're they. Hmm, I'm a fan of that pairing. I'm a fan of those two playing together for the rest of all time. Whether it be at five on five on the penalty kill, like we saw in Saturday's game. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, then I'm shifting over because here's okay, the thing. First, absolutely. I'm talking like the the banner that's up on the screen previously is the only game that Atkinson didn't score a goal yet. That's that's fair. And now, uh, granted, Faraby did not score on Saturday, but scoring was a lot harder to come by. Yeah, but let's and you, and, you, and, and and let's be real. Like you can't go in and sit there and say, take. I mean, look, take away the two goals in the final two minutes of last Friday, and it real, realistically, they were on their way to scoring two goals that game. And then they come out with so they finish with four instead, and then they come out with six and six. The offense and, is back, apparently. But that's not sustainable all year long. Right. You're not going to average six goals a game or five goals a game. It's just not sustainable. So when you do get, I mean, realistically, and I fully believe this, and I'm not trying to jump from the game we're putting on the screen to the next one, but they score three goals in the other game, they win. They yep. probably win. Almost definitely. Yep. It was that, that was the kind of game it was. It was a very much a next goal wins kind of thing. Yep. And if they would have tied it, I don't. I don't know how. Like, it probably would have gone to overtime, and who knows at that point? You're rolling who, dice who, and three well, on three overtime. Well, especially with that team, because it's again, they're Florida's very transition heavy, 
they do they have a lot of their success in transition and as a result three on three favors them but the flyers have been good when it comes to if they can get and maintain possession in three on three they do well in that regard too so there's kind of a couple things that go into your like it, it could have worked either way really it could have worked either way but back to this one where they even have a name they have a nickname too <laughs> Yeah, and that one kind of goes away when you lose the uh, the Broussard element of things eventually. But right now, the Farabee, Atkinson, Broussard line, the Fab line. It's a very it's a very '80s line nickname, isn't it? Yeah, I guess it, it feels okay. very uh, the French Connection, the Fab line. The you know, it's very it's very old school nickname. You don't see line nicknames like this very often. Well, I, you know what was like. I started to think about it as some of that game was going on because I'm sitting here going, they got to have, like, if they continue to produce at the level that they are, they've got to have something they like a nickname. People start to combine it in some way. And one of the things that's a little bit of a challenge early on this season, from, from my vantage point, from even just, I'm sure, pro probably watching on TV a little bit too, is you got two really high number guys there. When you have and, both and, up and, in the 80s. And in the grand scheme, like basically the six and the nine on the end of the 80s is just reversed. Like you just flip it around and it's the same style. So when you look at that, you're like, it's almost like you, you almost have trouble about the only thing that works in your favor is, is that one one of them's a lefty, one's a righty. Okay. And you and have the fact to, that Cam Atkinson is small. <laughs> yeah, but that, there's a lot of guys on the team that make Farabee look small. So it's not like that's, it's that's fair. like, like Farabee's not big by any stretch. That's, so, that's fair. He's bigger than Atkinson. I get that, but like, oh, there's everyone's nothing. Everyone's bigger than Atkinson. I know Cam Atkinson makes me he's feel tiny, better. About he's myself. a tiny man. <laughs> I see some of these other guys, and I go, okay, like most of. I, I, look, I never feel. How many twelve-year-olds are taller than Cam Atkinson at the carnival? <laughs> I don't know. See, I don't know if they're having the carnival. That's a good point. Whenever the carnival returns, because I have faith that the Flyers' wives' carnival will return in some form or fashion at some point. At some point, I agree. I don't know about this year. Whenever it returns, well, Cam Atkinson's going to be here for a while. So by he'll be yeah, here by the time it comes back. Years. Yeah. So four years left on your deal. Absolutely, I agree. I agree and I can't wait to see how many twelve-year-olds take pictures where they're here and Cam Atkinson's about here. Uh, but all right, let's let's talk about this Boston game a little bit because it started with a Cam Atkinson goal. Yes, it did, and it was his first of the season or his second of the season. Uh, but through the first two periods, it was a pretty tight game, right? Like it's it's two two after three, and that's a game where you know the third period is going to decide the game. And it it is, and it's it, nice it, to see the third period start the way it did. It, it, if, for sure, and it was also. If you you couldn't go into this game without thinking about the team that kept about the team from last year, how about the way both of these teams were from last year? Because that this was a nightmare situation for them a year ago. You played Boston, and basically, if you got locked into that type of game, you, you could be involved for two periods, but you were not the team that came out on top in the third period. And, you lost a lot to Boston last year. Yeah, <laughs> and to actually put it together, and and uh, like. They get that goal early in the third period, so now they're playing from in front. But you spent—I mean, how much? I, there was what eight minutes left, I think it was. Yeah. When Konechny scores, yes. So eight minutes left, but 
you're at about 10 minutes left and you're going, it can't still be 4-3 when it it's It can't be a one-goal game here. Right. It can't be, you know. Patrice Bergeron's here, Brad Marchand's here, David Pasternak's here. It can't just be a one-goal well, game. And, and see, to this point, like you're getting to that point in the game and you're going, for the most part, one mistake was the only reason that the top line for Boston's on the board. And it's you did not need to take an icing where you did late in a period. And, <sighs> tough and, icing. It, and it creates the mismatch because the fourth line was stuck, and here comes that line. Here comes perfection. And they come out, and they win a battle. They get the puck where it needs to be. And they lived get, up to their name. They, right, they executed they a play perfectly. And it's and it's not your typical goal from the, well, it is, but it's not like it's not a it's not a, pa- a Pasternak Clapper. sharp shooting type right. of goal. It's go to the net, get the rebound. It's kind of you know it's Brad it's a work goal. Style. Yep, it's Brad Marchand style. But for the most part, you had held them off the board. The second line gets a goal because of a bad line change. So, it, within a matter of, I mean, that that second that second goal for Boston actually came eight minutes into the period, eight and a half minutes into the period. So you actually were playing with the three to two lead for most of the period, but you were getting down to the point, and it felt the same way on on Saturday too. When you're playing with a lead, as it gets to that stage, you're just talking yourself through get out of this period, just get to the break with the lead, yep. get to the break with the lead get to the break with the lead and and then see where it goes and they didn't do that brad marchand scores with a minute left 60 seconds on the clock in the second period and that that would have broken previous teams there are flyers teams that they would have come out in the third period and a a bruin would have scored 58 seconds into the period and it's two more would have scored a minute later and it would have rolled downhill and the flyers would have lost five six seven to three and 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 like it's a, it is it's a really tough kind of way to look at this game because I almost like like I almost think that they played better as as a team against Florida than they did against Boston because Boston had a lot of chances. You got you got a really solid performance from your goaltender all things considered. I mean, there were a lot of people that didn't feel good about Martin Jones getting a start there. Martin Jones made 37 saves in that. Yeah, he looked really good. Like I'm sorry, when your goalie comes out of a game facing 40 shots and only gives up three, and his save percentage as a result is what was it, 925? Right, and one that, of them is that's high end level, that's league leader territory. Right, and you know we we've talked a little bit about goalie fault for goals this year, and I mean that's not really on Martin Jones. None of those None goals, of nope. you know. Like, here's the funny part. Like, I saw some people who get kind of, like, sit there and go, well, it didn't even look like he tried to make a save on Taylor Hall's breakaway. And I say, like, you that, don't know that, how hard that is. Come on. I was like, look, who, who's scoring the goal there, you know? Right. That wasn't. A guy who's won the Hart Trophy within the last five years. Like, but that wasn't. And it's just good. But that wasn't, with all due respect, that wasn't Carson Kuhlman coming down on a breakaway. That was Taylor Hall, elite yep. shooter. Yep. Right. He, and, and he knew where that was going before he got over the blue line. And and you Jones, maybe you maybe expect Carter Hart to make that save, and that might be kind of one of the level differences between Carter Hart and Martin Jones. But I don't if Carter Hart that. lets that in, you're not upset about it. Right, but I don't even know about that because here's where you know what I really see from that because people are going like people are reacting like oh well it feels like he barely made a move. To even try to stop it, I think what he's trying to do there realistically is you know what kind of player Taylor Hall is. Taylor Hall's got a mixed bag of I can pull this move out on you at any time. He's fancy, and, he, and he's standing in there going, 
I'm just not going to bite first. I'm not going to make myself look silly. Make him make the first move. You got to make the first move. And when you make the first move, you if you can pick your spot, like if your first move is just picking your spot, then Tip. pick your spot. And if it goes in, I, it goes in. I'm trying to make myself big. And the at a certain thing, point, that's all you got to do. You, the only thing that I can argue with is, yes, Jones does have a tendency to play back in his crease a little more than the average goalie. That's the only thing. Like Carter Hart made a save on Saturday. Oh, my God. I know exactly the save you're talking about. I was just going to bring it up. Now, the guy, the guy had his number twice that night, but Huberto from the slot where he's really out challenging and gets the glove on it. Dude, Carter Hart challenged. That was a penalty kill, right? Yes. On the penalty kill, Carter Hart was like, a foot out of his crease challenge in the at a crowded slot like it was oh i loved that save i loved 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 that save but, but back to jones for a second yeah. because i know there was a lot of people looking at it like come on it's boston so where's carter hart why aren't you playing carter hart there's two things we want to hear andy brickley say a cat a hat come on let <laughs> us do the thing uh, come on you you know that that's reserved for hayes and yandel now and i add yandel now because yandel can do it just as well as hayes probably can does Cam Atkins get an honorary pass from his time at BC? I, like, do they all get to do it? I'm sure they do, but like, I hear you. Um, so let me get back into Jones for a second with this because I know that there were people thinking like that. First of all, and it's been talked about a lot, and it should, and and I like, I feel like we almost are doing this. Everybody who's bringing it up, from my angle anyway, we're doing this from a place where we're almost sitting here going. These aren't yesterday's Florida Panthers. These aren't last decades Florida it, Panthers. It's hard to get over that. Like, like I know what you're doing on the surface. You're going Boston Bruins, Florida Panthers. Who's the better team? Yes, it has always been Boston. But this year, but that's not the answer. It, it very well might. Well, it, it could be. You don't know. But it very well may not be because of the fact that you sit there at the end of the day and go, it's not Tuka Rask and goal anymore. It's not David right. Krejci in the second line. Do they have a good team? Yes, they do. On paper, absolutely. But I, I do think it's as simple as once Tuka Rask signs, if Tuka Rask decides to come back and signs a minimum contract for Boston, blah, 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 I think they're right back there. They could be. Assuming but... Tuka Rask is, you know, what Tuka Rask is. Well, and sure. And then, see, that's this is, what, this is what's encouraging to me, too, is they're not playing bad, are they? No, absolutely not. They that was played... a good little Bruins team. Was, that was only their second game of the year, so you definitely took advantage of some mistakes, but you're going... Well, they won the first game of the year, and they won it the way that they typically win games. And then they won their third game of the year, and they won it the way they typically win games. And yes, their third game of the year was against Buffalo, but Buffalo was off to a three and zero start at Buffalo that point. Buffalo was undefeated so at that point, right? So you're going, hey, listen, that, and it was that game was more competitive than it seemed for a little while. Like, man, that Sabers team is an enigma. We might talk about them one day. <laughs> Well, here's here's the thing. I think a lot of teams are like I look at certain teams and I go, why is this team this? Why is this team where they are? Like there's stuff all over the place. Like it, it it's not, nothing in nothing in is in that standings picture is sustainable. No, realistically. Absolutely not. Well, and it's it's four games into the season. If you're banking anything on the standings at this point, you're you're looking too early. Well, and and this is the, but this is also what happens when you play everybody. The Flyers haven't played a divisional game yet. It feels like it. It's nice to hear. It, but it feels like it because they played Boston, and you kind of are making the association from last year. They played Boston. Well, they played Boston eight times. But they're only year. playing Boston three times this year. Right. Not only that, they're playing Boston all three times like by the mid, middle of January. Oh, is it early? Yeah. They, well, they have another one with them relatively soon. Like, 
Yeah, the Flyer schedule is interesting because they get we we didn't really go into this in our season breakdown. We talked about it a little bit, but they play a lot of teams. They get a lot of teams out of the way early, and they get a lot of their uh, big road trips out of the way early. They the do. back half of the season, the Flyers really don't do a whole lot of multi-day they, traveling. So there are two teams in particular. Let me check and see if the, about the a third one really quick here because. Okay, so not not the third one. All right, so I won't jump into that one then. But they play so they play Boston again on November twentieth, and then close out the season series by January thirteenth. That's weird. And how about this then? So they don't play this team at all for the rest of the month. Like the rest of their month is Western Canada, but in November. They're going to play Tampa Bay on November 18th, then November 23rd, then December 5th, and it's over. Wow. Those are going to be some nasty games. So if there's any sort of uh, dramatic activity in the first two, that's a good time to get a little drama going. But but it's funny because if you go by by early season results, for example, you play Chicago. Chicago's been good. No, they've been awful. Oh, have they been? I thought they've been good. Okay. No, they've been off. Apparently, I'm not paying that much attention. They're the local oh. market, and I don't even pay that much attention. They've had some really awful games. Oh, okay. um, they they don't play Chicago though until March 5th and then April 25th. Whew. So like, there's your two meetings with Chicago. But can you imagine getting it? Like like that's what the early season stuff starts to establish, kind of as you go. If they're not a good team in March, you're gonna get handed two potentially winnable games down the stretch in a playoff race, possibly. You know, you think about that, like you think about like, okay, look at some of the other games that are in April. And I know I'm jumping way, way ahead, but like you're sitting here going, Buffalo's on the schedule twice in April. Ottawa's on the schedule. Anaheim's on the schedule. Columbus twice. You know, teams like that are on your schedule. Montreal's not off to a good start. They got Montreal in April. And Montreal's off to an awful start. Now, they finally had a game, but against Detroit. Now, kind of, you know. Grain of salt. Well, because, you know, you still don't know. Detroit's been competitive in some of the other games. Now, that one, they weren't. Why? Right. I mean, Columbus got off to a good start, too, but then they got crushed by Carolina. Sorry. Sounds sounds about right, but then you go, they've won other games. So. I did also want to qu- toss out a quick note while we're on the schedule here. That April 25th game in Chicago, I do intend on being there. So, uh, any YWT listeners. Because you, yeah, you, well, you, you turned around and you said that the two easiest ones for you are St. Louis and Chicago. So yep. thought, about a month thought, apart. Yeah, any thoughts of the St. Louis game too? Uh, probably, yeah. Okay. I'm planning on it. It's, it I mean, just makes sense. It's one of those okay. things I'm used you're to gonna, going to five or six gonna, games a year. You're going to have time off, right? I'm going to make sure I have those days off. Um, so you're going to need more than just those days for a couple of them. Well, not really. I can go. I can get to St. Louis and back in a night. Yeah. I have to. They're they're about two and a half hours from me. So if I really have to, you know, all I need is that day and the next day off. So yeah. I'll make it's it not, work. Don't worry. It's not all that different from if I ever march my way up to Allentown for a game. Exactly. Yeah, like you're you're hauling it for a while. Well, and so. when you're used to going to five, six, seven games a year, and then all of a sudden you only have the opportunity to go to two, you're going to those two. So, so let's let's talk about something that kind of I think ties into both games we've talked about so far too, because I do sure. want to sit there and because you you talk, you're talking about going to multiple games a year, and I've now been to well four home games plus three preseason home games, so I've been back in the building seven times. Yeah, what's that experience been like for you? 
Well, I'm, I want. I don't even want. Not even the experience. I more want to talk about the atmosphere because you can sense that there's, there's, there's a feeling out process with this team because there's certain. There's, there's definitely people out there that aren't convinced, or like going in that change just means result. Right. Like there's, there's a. I, I believe we've mentioned on here before the T-shirts that read something to prove. All the players wearing stuff like that. Well, there very much is a prove it mentality to the fan base. Like, okay, you did all this stuff. That's great. Prove it. And very much so, as I expected. And I by think the that's way. warranted. It's point. warranted, but and yeah. very much so, as I expected. Cam Atkinson has endeared himself to the fan base. Phenomenal. Right. Like I, that's not a surprise. Are there still feelers out for other guys? Nate Thompson has his ups and downs. We Rasmus know what we were getting with Nate Thompson. Right. Rasmus Ristolainen did, didn't play until Wednesday's game, so we'll kind of touch on him in a second, but it's still a process with him. Martin Jones is not going to be the most loved guy based on a couple of games. You know? He's also not going to be the most loved guy because of the guy that he's starting instead of. Like, if you're seeing Martin Jones, it means you're not seeing Carter Hart, so there's always going to be a little disappointment from the fans that they're not seeing Carter Hart. It's nothing against Martin Jones Agreed. personally, just you're not the guy. Agreed. But at the same time, like so, so, it's it's guys like that, and then you look at some of the other newcomers. Like I think Yandel's done decent at building up, not his reputation, but like you know what I mean. Like, like he did not have the best game against it, his former team. But, but he's, he's funny, had, so it doesn't matter. No, but he had two really good games earlier in the week. So like you kind of sit there, like it's a give it it's a give and take with him, and at the very least, like. I don't like. I don't know how to describe him. I liked what I saw out of Keith Yandel, especially against Boston. Oh, for sure. He looked really, really good against that Boston team. And and when, so one thing that I said in the group text is I'm getting real tired of the uh, post penalty kill shift consisting of basically <laughs> your fourth line and your bottom pair. I, I don't love the strategic decision out of AV to, all right, we just killed a penalty. Let's get some energy going by throwing Nate Thompson, Nicholas Obey-Cabell, and Justin Braun out there. I have a theory to that, by the way. Okay. Because, are, like, are you saying that that's the first full line you see on the ice, or, you, or is that immediately after a penalty's killed? It usually looks like when the penalty ends, the next group of guys on is that fourth line. Like, the next okay. time they have a personnel... Because my theory, my theory is, is that if if it's Nate Thompson or Nick Obey-Kubel coming out of the penalty box, and the other guy is possibly part of the penalty kill anyway, I think it just they just bleeds throw the over. out there. I think it just bleeds over. Uh, maybe. To be honest, maybe that's the case, but I, it seems like Nate Thompson is stuck on the ice for a minute and a half after after every, after every penalty kill, and it's driving me nuts. <laughs> just next time you watch, take a note of it. Here's my thing with that, okay? This is, truthfully, it's exactly the way that he wants to run his lines, though. He wants it to continue to be a constant motion. And now you're picking up on that in a game where there was a parade to the penalty box. There really um, was. You're right. So, like, here's the difference. You're saying that then. There's, you're, asking, you're saying, look for that next time I'm watching, right? There was no way to notice it on Wednesday. They took one penalty. That is true. So you stay out of the box. You never have to worry about who's the next guy out after the penalty kills over. Well, you, know, you, like, you stay out of the box, and you just have fewer problems everywhere. Well, exactly. But the point point I'm making with that is is that that's what makes you successful against a team like Boston. Boston has we no, no kidding. Boston has a power play. Everybody knows it. But you gave them one chance. They didn't score on it. You come away from that game with 
one you know one for one on the penalty kill and that's all that there is i mean i had somebody and this this doesn't tie in by the way okay to the penalty kill but it's a special teams thing so their first power play on saturday was awful they couldn't gain entry it was awful right but I had somebody turn around and tweet at me after that, like after I said they couldn't even gain entry, blah, 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 go, what else is new? And I didn't even bother to entertain it with a response, but like the response would have been like, um, they were two for two in the last game, and so far in the season, they're three for seven. So now they're three for eight. Like, Right. Well, I was going to say Wednesday's a game that your- didn't have a whole lot of special teams, but Saturday definitely was. <laughs> so uh, we mentioned the parade to the penalty box earlier. We mentioned, man, Saturday was wild. Yeah, I mean, Saturday was a wild game from a penalty kill or from a special teams perspective. They gave up a power play goal. They scored their own power play goal. They scored a shorthanded goal. They gave up a a shorthanded goal. Saturday is a weird one to evaluate because so little of the game was played at five on five. Yeah, just kind of overall. It's 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 tough to evaluate. We already touched on the the officiating situation that you lose one of your referees early it was still first period that he really realistically was gone right and i'm trying not to put any sort of blame on that and kind of just evaluate the game as it was no but all right so let, let me go back i'm i'm kind of again we're bouncing around but so let me go back yeah, yeah, to martin yeah. jones for one second from the previous game because i want to go into decisions because ryan ellis didn't play in saturday's game so it's about decisions early in the season you can't just i, I understand what people were looking at you're going friday to monday to wednesday to saturday there's no reason why carter hart couldn't get all four games and that's fair, especially with three but, days off after Saturday until but Wednesday. I already knew, but I already knew the answer before Elaine Vigneault gave the answer, which is you're not going to wait two and a half weeks and say the first time I'm putting Martin Jones in goal is in a back-to-back where I need him. Right. He's got to get work. Exactly. You can't just sit there and say, hey, the guy played in four preseason games. That was really fortunate for us. He's... You know, he's sitting on the bench this whole time. He's He could be ready to go, but he played on... October 8th, and the next time he's going to see the ice is October 27th or 20th. You can't make him wait three weeks. No, like Carter Hart needed work. Carter Hart needed time. Martin Jones also needed a little bit of work, a little bit of time. It's Look, there was a lot of benefits to me in that early part of the early stretch of the season because now you're going to get into it. Like the, the thought of, and I heard it this way, the thought of three and four coming up sounds daunting compared to what you just went through. Yeah. Because it's travel, it's not home anymore. It's time zones, it's it's all sorts of... And you might be playing two more teams again on this trip that you feel like you can compete with, but you're starting it with a team that's undefeated again. And the Edmonton Oilers are a very good team right and you now. Can't, and you can't play the game you played Saturday and expect to come out of it winning. You can't. No. I don't even know if you can play the game Wednesday. You, you, you played Wednesday and expect to come out with a, a clean win. Um, you can to an extent because if you're that good, on you're as good as you were in the third period. Well, if if you're that good, but if you're that good in counter rushes and transitions and taking advantage of the opportunities that present themselves, I mean, they don't have they're they're basically down to one goalie. Remember I, that. I don't know if I want to get into a shootout with a team that has Connor McDavid and Leon Drysdale on it. No, but there's there, there's also there's an element of support though that I'm seeing. Like there were shots that were leaving rebounds. That you're going, that would be a dangerous thing. And before it gets to the stick of the, of somebody else on the opposition, it's cleared out of the way a little bit. So yeah. there is a level of support there that's really good. And you're hoping that continues, but man. And for and for what it's for what it's worth, by the way, Florida ended up with 
31 shots in um, in that game on Saturday. Compared to 40, is it's better. And actually, the better part of it to me was is that the, the, the area where you really got outplayed, and again, I guess if you also look at the power play disparity, the area where you really got outplayed was they had one extra guy on the ice for a lot of time, and you actually didn't get outshot in the third period. You played better in the third period from a shots perspective than they did. Right. Well, and especially once you're playing from behind, score effects kind of take take come into play a little bit. Right. But, and that's kind of how Boston ended up with 40 shots on Wednesday is because they were down the whole third period. But uh... <laughs> it wasn't, and, and, and that wasn't an indicator of how bad the game like real like was like or whatever. Like I'm like in that way, like just because I got outshot by 15 does not mean it was that bad of a game. Like, they played better than the shot total indicated. If Ryan Ellis had played Saturday, do you think that team gets by the Florida Panthers? It's possible because you're you're adding an element there. Let's put it this way. I, I don't know. I'd have to get the full – like it's tough to put a guy like that in right. over, over a Nick Sealer and then say let's see what it would have been like. There's no way to know for sure and certain, but – there's a difference. Well, we between wouldn't playing, have had to see Nick Sealer, and that's good. But there, there's a difference between an undefeated team with your best defensive core, and there's a difference between here's an undefeated team and you're down a top pairing guy. Right. Uh, and it so, makes a difference. Like, like the good news, believe it or not, the good news out of that was Justin Braun was the guy who filled in at the top, and he was not very noticeable. In which is a good thing when we talk about defensemen. Like, yeah, I he didn't played okay. But I didn't see anything from him specifically that made me go, uh-oh. Because let's put it away. There was think nothing about super he, painful. But, but also think about where he's playing. So they go one for seven on the power play. Florida does. So you know Braun plays penalty kill. He's playing top minutes, which means you're out there with Barkov. He's out there a lot. And, and you know, guys like – because Huberto actually, they balanced out. Huberto usually is on the top line, we would think. You, you would know. think. But he's – um on the second line right now. And they've got like they've got a good top six because Bennett's been really good this year. Tippett's an up and comer. And then you throw in the fact that like I, I wouldn't put or in my mind anyway, I wouldn't put Carter Verhage on a top line. But he's been really good this year. So he fits in with Barkov. He fits with the style. He's not the biggest name, but I'm gonna I'm gonna mention a Florida Panther here who I really like and I don't think gets the credit he deserves for what an electric player he is. Anthony Duclair. No, he belongs on that top line. He, he almost scored three times last year. <laughs> Anthony Duclair is an electric hockey player, and I don't think he gets the credit he deserves. No, I agree. Um, so so you get back to this uh, to the way the power play was. My thing was, like, we just talked about Martin Jones in this way. You can't just play Carter Hart for the first four games because the schedule is favorable and then say, okay, Martin Jones, come in and play your first game three weeks after you last played in a game. It's not going to work. You needed to get him a game somewhere this week. And if you actually were really going to consider who the better team was coming Probably in. Probably. Would, would Monday have been a better day? No, because I think you wanted you wanted to go to Carter Hart on Monday because Friday wasn't the best. Right, you, you want to let him bounce back. back. You needed him to get a bounce back, and you're looking at that team going, well, that's Here as good of a team to try as, as any. Dave Haxtell's coming into town. It's going to be a low offense night. Carter, get in there. Well, because here's the thing, too. Think about it for a minute, because there were a lot of speculation about um, 
if Carter Hart didn't play the Boston game because it was a kind of a hint to going back to a year ago and well this is a team that had his number before oh, so geez. maybe they're doing that on like no and it was valid to think that way but real reality is, is that think about this if he plays the game he did on Friday against Vancouver and then comes out in the next game he's going to play is, is against the Boston, Boston team and right. then Florida does That's he fair. even have does he even have a win yet yeah, no, you toss him up a little bit of a softy. That that makes sense. Give him right. Seattle. And he very much is responsible for that game because of the fact that, yes, they score six goals, but they... It's all on that safe. Right. And they if, had if, any... If had, he lets that go in, it's a one nothing game, and who knows where we're at. It's not even that safe because he stops Donskoy on a breakaway. He stops Donato alone in front of the net. He stops Everlay from the side of the net there. He makes three saves that all could have been goals. It probably should have been 2 nothing at minimum. And... Instead, it's still scoreless, and you go down and score the first goal. He was the one who Huge. won you that game with the way he played in the first 10 minutes. Hockey's and a momentum after, game. We talk about it all the time. But then after that, like, now you give him Boston off because you need to get Jones you get Jones some time. And he, he's got to play. Now, I saw somebody suggest to me on Twitter, so the, I assume the goalie rotation is going to be Jones, Hart, Hart. I actually think it's the other way around. I think Hart's playing Edmonton because you want your best guy in against a team like that. Uh, who you, you need somebody who can counter. And you want to give him the extra day off between games. And then Jones would probably get Vancouver, and then Hart gets Calgary. I think That's you absolutely guess. go Hart, Jones, Hart. Absolutely. Because after that, they're back home. They're not back home again until a Tuesday. So they play Saturday, and they have, again, a two-day gap. So you could very With easily... Travel. And here's the thing. I might give Martin Jones that game. It's Arizona. I don't, I don't hate it. Because then you're setting the table for, okay, Pittsburgh, Washington on the road. Time to go. Go in, Carter. You know, it's time. Well, let's let's talk about Carter Hart a little bit on Saturday night. And honestly, I want to talk about both goalies because that game probably should have been 4-4 or 5-5 instead of 2-2 for as long as it was because both goalies were making some pretty spectacular saves. Sergei Bobrovsky, quite frankly, looked great yeah, most he, of the time. <laughs> Well, but that's that's the that's the counter that you go into with it too, because it's we can sit there and talk about like Florida has really bought into the Joel Quenville style. Like this is very much Joel Quenville Chicago style here, and yet the thing that was different for them even a season ago was who was their goalie? Like you know what I mean? Like and I I don't now say they that, have like, two, right? But I don't say that like. I don't know who was their goalie. I we say all know team. Sergei Bobrovsky has up years, and Sergei Bobrovsky has down right. years. Like, like where I'm going with that was is that at different times last season, it was Bobrovsky was having a good enough stretch. He was, it was his net. Chris Drieger was there for a while. Drieger was there and comes in. Spencer Knight comes in at the end. But that was the point. They got to the playoffs, and toward the end of the playoffs, the best option they had was a was a young rookie goaltender who had barely been with the team because. Your $10 million guy isn't giving it to you in the playoffs. Right, and that's the thing is you're not upset about the young kid coming in, and you're not even really upset about the lack of experience. Right. You're upset that he has to be your starter while you're paying Sergey Bobrovsky $10 million. But, he, but now when your guy who makes that money is playing like it on top of— Now look, you just you have know, a great goalie duo. Right, but it's also look at what happens when all the other pieces click. Like— Color me surprised that that's the first two goals of Jonathan Huberto's season. Uh, yeah, I noticed that too. When he scored the first one, uh, Jim Jackson goes, it's his first of the season. And I went, oh, for, really? For, 
for a guy who comes in after four games on an undefeated team where everybody else is really contributing across the board, Bennett's given you goals. Duclair had had a few. Barkov's involved. Verhage's involved. Like, there's a number of guys who are scoring. You would have thought by then, oh, here's Huberto. Where's his – that's really his first goal? Because he is a goal-scoring type. Right. Like, last season he had – pulling it up here – 61 points in 55 games. Right. Like Including talent- 20 really- goals in a 55-game season. Right, a really talented player. So right, he scored was it 30 at the, the NHL level before. But that was it. So it's like, where was it early in the year? You know what I mean? Like, it, it, you got to factor that type of stuff in. But they held their own against a team like that that really clicks on a lot of points. I mean, I think I just saw this morning – from like one of the game sheets or whatever. Radko Gudis had seven hits and four block shots in that game. Like that's the type he of He was defense. a monster. That's the type of defensive game. Like like you know who's not talked about that I haven't mentioned yet about this team that had an outstanding game last night? It, it, Aaron Ekblad. I was gonna I was gonna mention Aaron Ekblad. Yeah. Like it was annoying how good he looked. Right. But like Aaron Ekblad looked like he was annoyed or he was really trying to prove to Keith Yandel that he didn't need him. <laughs> I guess. Um, here's 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 where I am at with this though. So like, you can't run Carter Hart into the ground four games in the season. There's got to be some balance. I agree. It's, it's the fourth game. That's why Martin Jones gets gets a start. Carter Hart's now played two more games since what we talked about last Friday. He's looked good in both. He's got something to build on. In the same thing, because you you asked me if Ryan Ellis plays, is it a different type of game? Possibly whatever. The point of that statement, though, is, is that it's the fourth game of the season. If that's a playoff game, Ryan Ellis was playing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But it's not a playoff game. It's your fourth game of the season. You've got to manage this for the long haul. You don't want to play Edmonton without Ryan Ellis. Well, let's talk about that. Let's transition to our, our looking ahead here. Yes. Because oh, we talked about the goalie rotation a little bit, and I do think it's going to go Hart and Jones Hart, especially – we isn't uh, Carter Hart from the Edmonton area? Isn't that where oh, his family point, is likely to be? So I imagine he's probably um, going to get the start there. It is. I mean, you could argue that. I believe he, he lives there in the off season. He does. You could argue that Calgary is not that far of a trip either. But he should get. He probably should get both of those games. Well, right. He's going to get those too. So. Uh, I mean, look. I'm not going to. I'm not going to bank on that yet. There's like Elizabeth. So here's the funny part about the goalie rotation for a minute too, because. I forget when it was asked, um, but it was it was asked at some point. Maybe it was after they announced that Carter Hart was playing Monday. That is it like, is there a timeline in your head for when you want to get Martin Jones playing time? Because the, the way the schedule is, you don't have you could kind of get by with one goalie. You could theoretically five, not right like for five games of the season and then finally come in on game six and say, okay, now we have to play Martin. It's the second Jones. half of a back to back. Get in there, kid. Right. But there was a lot of situations where you didn't have to use Martin Jones for a long time, possibly. And Elaine Fignot gave an answer with a smile that said, oh, I know exactly when I'm playing. And I knew exactly where it probably was because I'm like, it's going to be in the middle of this week. He's got a timeline in there. He's not playing all it's four. It's going to be Wednesday. Yeah, and we knew that pretty quickly. Um now, granted, it, you could go off of the same mentality because you could sit there and say you put Hart in on Monday because you want him to get get another game as quickly as possible after allowing four to start the year. But do you want to, you know, now he had a really great game. Do you want to leave him in there to let him build, build off that? Right. Do you want him to build on that? 
So well, the good news is we got the best of both worlds. He got the time off. He got the extra days, and then on Saturday he still came in and had a fantastic performance. Like the three goals he gave up because there was an empty netter. The three goals he gave up were a power play goal from again Jonathan Huberdeau, a short spot, yeah, a short-handed breakaway. Well, here, here, and the thing about the short-handed goal, the thing about the last two in, in particular. While we're while we're on the subject yeah. here, um, there's a cross crease pass is tough enough for a goalie to stop anyway, no matter how it goes in. But there was no reason for that pass to get through. None. Travis Sanheim's got to be better there. Yep. Even I even complimented when I did takeaways. I even complimented Ristolainen on that because I go Ristolainen at the very least has a positioning enough that. You're, the pass is coming. It's a defenseman, by the way. Mackenzie Weger's got the puck. Weger's got no choice but to either throw a weak backhander on goal where Hart's square We're or try off. that pass. Yep. And, and it flutters. So it's it's not like, yeah, could Carter Hart technically get across that fast on a, on a puck that's not moving that fast? Yeah, I guess he could. But there's no reason for that to get You'd through. like to see a defensive even, stop there. Even – but even Sandheim, like Sandheim's positioned fine. It's not his positioning. Just be a stronger defenseman. Do I'll be something. honest. I'll be honest. I was not supremely impressed with uh, Travis Sandheim's performance on Saturday. And that's, the hard, and that's the hard part right now because in the early going, you're going to sit there and look and you're going to wonder, is it Ristolainen? And the reality is, is I don't know. It's Sandheim. Answer. It's right now it's been Sandheim. Sandheim has not had a good four, four games to start the season. No. He's, and he has, he has not. I don't know if that pairing is going to work long term. I don't know if they cover each other's weaknesses well enough. I think you might have to see some some adjustments on that. I can't. I don't know if you can justify moving one of those two for what they make down to your third pairing, though. We can't put Sanheim with. There's Sanheim. another direction to go. Which, which is. I mean, you split up your top pair, and and They're this is something I've kind of talked about a little bit, and. Okay, so through four games, I, I do. I, let's take a little bit of a look at Provorov Ellis, and we've only seen them for three games. I think they are a very good pairing. I am absolutely head over heels in love with Ryan Ellis in a Flyers jersey. I man, it's it's probably the correct decision to keep them together. But if Sandheim Ristolainen proves to be as God, I don't want to call them bad because they're not bad. Let's call them a little leaky. If they're as leaky as they've been, I wouldn't surprise me if Alain Vino tries it at some point. Split up, do Provorov Sandheim again or Provorov Ristolainen. Provorov Ristolainen and Ellis Sandheim could make a lot of sense to me. I can't see them doing it. I just can't. That's fair. And and I agree, and it's probably the correct decision. But Those, those two at the top are your minutes eaters. Like, they're the guys you want on the ice for a majority of the game, and you know it. Yeah, Ivan Provorov's gonna get his time. <laughs> he like, like let, let me go into a, a totally different direction with this for a minute and go Keith Yandel for example. You've got to know to an extent what you're gonna get from him. It's he's just as much of a mixed bag as anybody else. Now he comes out in the first two games of the, or for first three games of the season and has five assists, so the production is high. Now, is it sustainable or like from that standpoint? Probably not. Early, not probably not. But it's no different than the Shane Gossesbear equation. You've got to. It's a give and take in the sense that if he's producing a little bit in that regard, it's good. You have to overlook some slip ups in that case, right? Like, do you think for a second he's at fault for the final goal? 
for the shorthanded goal because it's a bad pass, a lack of communication, and, and terrible puck Awful. management that allows you to get, give up that breakaway. And the problem with that shift is he's not the fastest guy. Right. The end isn't. Right. And at, the, and at the end of the day, like you look at the other guys on the ice at that moment, power play's a minute old. They're tired. That's when they usually get off the ice. You just get a clear – like if it's just a clear there, it's a clear, and that's the end of the situation. And that's right? fine. Right. Right. You get but a line change, you move on. But it's not. So it's not only a clean breakaway, but Hubert was able to get his own rebound from behind the goal line and bank it in. Like, that's not on Carter Hart. Absolutely who makes, not. Who makes a save when you needed it. He made the save, and no one was back there to clean up the mess, and I, there's nothing he can do. I, I'm not trying to use this as an opportunity to bash a guy who's been really good to start the year because Claude Drew has been really good to start the year. But Claude Drew on that play is on one knee watching it happen. Not, hey, I'm going to continue to back check to try to be there, like yeah. as if he's going to make the save. Like, almost an assumption that not only, like, either it's going to be a goal or Hart's going to make the save and he's going to be able to cover. Right. Like, and either way, all he has to do is no take other back alternative. The right. And Yandel's too late coming back. So is Couturier. And, like, it, it can't, that goal should not happen. In the third period because, of a game that is, you know, tied up to that point. Where you have you the momentum. You, you've killed off two penalties to that point. And you have your crowd, own power play. Right. That have the crowd buzzing. Now you've drawn a penalty. So, like, finally you sit there and you go, there's the call. There's one that goes into their favor. We needed this go one up. bad. Let's like, go. Like, right. at least turn it into some opportunities and maybe build the momentum going forward where you could be the better five-on-five five team for the rest of regulation and maybe pull out a win here. And it just knocked all the air out of the balloon. That shorthanded goal does. But I'm not so – but, like, Yandel's that type of player. You're going to have give and take when it comes to Ristolainen as well. And I haven't seen enough in two games to determine whether he's completely the cause. Like, here was the thing for, for me, and I don't feel this from Sanheim as much. I have to go in and look. I, I didn't really reread his post-game comments just yet. But Ristolainen, after Wednesday's game, when he spoke to the media, was very hard on himself. You know, really sits there and goes in and takes accountability for, I didn't make the right play there i didn't do this the right way i didn't you know i need to be better in that spot i made a bad play well at least you're owning up to it right you don't have to own up to it you could sit there and say well it's you know it, that, it, that that was what it was or whatever like you know he, he owned up to it and that at least you know like i didn't feel like he was the guy that really was a problem for most of the game no, I agree. Like, I noticed Sanheim in that negative way more than I noticed Ristolainen so far. I noticed Travis Sanheim in a bad way a lot on Saturday night. It was not... And talking of a guy who has a little bit of a Western Canada connection, Travis Sanheim played his hockey in the WHL, and I imagine right. he'll have friends and family at the Calgary game. Right. Now, here's the thing. So here's the thing about this. Let, let, let's kind of go into that, into the penalties for a minute from this, because... There wasn't – when you take seven penalties, you kind of almost sit there and go, come on, like there's got to be a bad one in there somewhere. And look, I know that I saw people who chime in and go, well, this was a flop and that was a like whatever. And blah, like Jim Jackson called something a flop on the air. Had to be Nate Thompson's. Had to be Nate Thompson's roughing call because yes, Hornquist, 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 like listen – he said something along the lines of he's done this for a long time and he's flopped himself into another penalty or something along those lines. Like You can't, at, at, with seven minutes left in the game, 
or 10 minutes left. I think it was 10 minutes left. You can at that spot, though, if you're Nate Thompson, you want to give no. him a shove and get him out of there, go ahead. But Stupid. when you go two, but two or three times, you've crossed the line. You've you got know to they're going to call out. it. Right. You've got to chill out. And if he's not retaliating, you have to leave it. You have to. It's like a guy saw comments coming going, oh, he's asking for a fight, then backs down and dives instead. I, I don't care that he dove after it. He's egging him on. That's what they do. Do not fall for that stuff. That's his role. You think Tom Wilson's not going to do the same thing? You think Brad Marchand's not going to do the same thing? Like, that's what but they're the, doing. The rest of these penalties, Sandheim's interference was blatant. Yep. The Provorov tripping penalty at the end of the second Bad. period. You just gave up a goal. Now you're going to take a penalty. That's horrible. And it was obvious. Abe Kubel makes a nice play, gets it, gets a step, looks like he's going to create offense, and then two seconds later takes a penalty. Yep. I don't know how that guy stays is going to stay in the lineup when Patrick Brown's ready. I, I just don't either. Don't I, I said it during he's this week. He's playing himself out of a roster spot. I don't remember which game I said it during. I think it might have been the Boston game. Oh, man, Nicholas Abe Kubel has been terrible. And I'm not a fan. We all know this. I've been pretty vocal about the fact that I'm not supremely happy that he's in your lineup. Right, but man, I I look good. I look good in that opinion right about now because he has been poor. Yeah, it's not it's not good. And see, but overall, I feel like we're I feel like we're kind of complaining a lot over the back half of this show. I do want to express that I am pretty positive about this team. I think this overall was a very positive week. We talked last week about getting four or five points uh, out of this week, and they got four. I'm pretty happy with where the team's at right now. You know, Saturday wasn't perfect, but uh, no, overall, I think things are moving in a pretty good direction. It's because you've got teachable moments from everything that's happened against you, realistically. And you're still missing your second-line center, and you were missing your top defenseman on Saturday night. Like, Right. You, he you held your own against Florida without Ellis in the lineup. Now, that's what's his good. what's his status? Is he going to play in Western Canada? That, that's what the expectation is. They keep okay. the. I mean, he's two traveling days with a, the team. Two days in a row. Well, I, I don't know when they're traveling yet. So they have a day off today. I think they practice in the area. Probably travel tomorrow after practice. Um, maybe maybe they to get might, start getting time adjusted. I don't know. It's it's. You know what? I'm not really sure how it's going to work either because it is Canada. So there might when be you have a travel, things. like like for example, this is here's an interesting little kind of caveat, if you will. So Patrick Brown finally gets into a practice on Friday, I think it was. He gets into a practice because it's the first time since he came out of like he gets claimed off waivers. He goes into COVID protocol right away, got a test done, and he had COVID. Right. So unfortunate so timing. Right. Everything was unfortunate timing about it, but. He spends the 10 days that he has to, so he's able to return. The issue is, by Canada's standards, he still has four more days left in that protocol. Even though the rest of the league, he, he could have played last night if they really wanted him to. Right. Obviously, we understand why they didn't want him to. Sure. But he could have played. He actually can't travel with the team. Hmm. To Canada because he's still not through his timeline. So he probably he just won't go on the trip at all? No, he's going to join them in progress. Oh, he will? Okay. Whether that is in time for Wednesday or not remains to be seen, but he is going to have to fly out at a different time because it just... He's got to wait out the days. Right. It doesn't line up. 
Hmm. That's the only reason. It, it, that's how. So you're absolutely right about that. Like in the sense that, could they leave on Monday? It's possible because of the fact that you are going into a different country for the first time in. Well, let's be real. For the first time since the bubble is really when the first time you're going into this country. Didn't the NHL crack down on like um, when you're in Canada, you're basically not allowed to go anywhere except for the hotel and the arena? Yeah, Cause, probably. Because if that's the case, then they probably won't leave until Tuesday. Because why would you shackle the guys up for an extra day? Um. Well, that that's that was, that was my thinking. You right. You get you get into Canada Tuesday. Tuesday. You get there Tuesday night. Go through all the blah blah blah. You're there Wednesday they, they for the game. Do. They could do what they've done before with practices. By the way, like you can have a you could have an eleven a.m. practice and then catch the plane right after, and then be like, okay, by the way, you're flying you're flying backwards, kind of, because you're going to a time zone that's behind you. Right. It wouldn't so surprise me if that's what they're doing on like Tuesday. Right. I think they're leaving Tuesday. If if I had to guess, which it's why it made sense. I knew that today was going to end up being an off day because you had enough of a gap. You still have two more practice days at your disposal, and then you and then you can have. Probably the optional morning skate. You're going to spend a lot of time on Thursday trying to rest up for another game. Friday, you're off. It's it's actually a favorable travel schedule, if you will, by that logic. Then, if you can't do much, because you don't just go from Edmonton to Calgary and then have another day in between where it's like, okay, Vancouver for a day. You're not going to practice on Friday because you just played two games in a row. Right. So what do you do? Chill. Like, yeah. like if nothing else, what you're actually going to get is. They should, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, look, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not saying I know their itinerary when they go on the road, but like, if if they do it the proper way, they're gonna to stay me, in stay in Vancouver Thursday night and then just kind of go to Calgary at their convenience on Friday. Yes, I would say because that, that should be the way it goes. And when there's not a time crunch, it's just then, give your guys then, the time. And then reality is that when that game ends on Saturday night. You probably fly home right away, and so take you probably Sunday jump off. on a plane and just get here, right? Yeah. Well, because of the fact that once you do get back here, you have the ability to jump right into like go back to your regular. Like it'll be there'll be some normalcy to hey, you're home. Go to jump you know, on a bus and no, go to Washington. No, no practice. Well, no, they don't do that right away. Oh, no, no practice on uh, on Sunday probably as a result. And then Monday you start prepping for Arizona at home. And then, yes, everything else is quick little trips to Pittsburgh and, and Washington. And, and uh, again, the nice thing about it is, is that after they play those couple of games, you get a three-day pause. When did we have three-day pauses a year ago? They didn't. The earlier this earlier this year during last season there were I know. I keep no calling it last, I, keep calling it, I keep calling it last year because it's easy to identify. Uh, last season, I know. Yeah. Um, but those are definitely games we're excited for. Uh Three games in Western Canada. I'm excited because I actually get to watch them because puck drop is late enough. I, I get done work at 8 o'clock, puck drop at 9. It's beautiful. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that uh, it's not nice to have a couple of games like this where, like, I the lateness is a little rough for me, but um, the, the fact that it's an all-road week is kind of nice because when you've done three home games in a week and you have four personal things games, to take care of. <laughs> No, no, you no, can't no, spend all well, night every night at the arena. Well, it's not even it, that's more what it is because of the fact like I look, I love going, you know that, but like when you're there that often and it's the constant back and forth of it, it's you also have like adulting to do. Your... Just having, it's actually not that you have adulting to do. It's nice to actually be able to feel like you can sleep for a little bit. Like Well, speaking of sleep, good luck going to bed at 1:30 in the morning. 
not even going to be one thirty in the morning for me because I got to write another article before the morning. Especially oh, when you're talking, especially when you're talking about Wednesday night Edmonton that shifts over to Thursday night Vancouver that quickly. And how many, how many things am I supposed to do? You know what I mean? Like in between, like I have to update all the stuff for the preview. Have to do a takeaways after that. Like the in-game stuff is easy. I could do an in-game thing in every other sleep. night, yeah. but every other night of the week, it doesn't bother me. Which by which by oh which by the way, let's have some fun with something really quick. All right. They did this just to mess with me, I think, because I have graph like the graphics. I have graphics for everybody, right? So yeah. a couple guys made their debut on Wednesday against Boston. Yeah. So we're gonna wear the road whites, right? <laughs> and then the alternates came out on Saturday. Like the graphics are based around the home the uniform. home jersey, and they've only worn the home jersey twice. Yeah, but no, but who hasn't? Right. Oh, all the people who played these last two games. So Ristolainen, like Ristolainen will have played by the time. Like here's here's the funny part. They have three games in a row now on the road. Then they come home. They play Arizona. Then two more on the road. By the time they play their next home game, wearing the home orange jersey, theoretically, it's gonna be it's gonna possibly be the first time Kevin Hayes is in the lineup. Wow. Because that's how many games they play. Because, because guess what? Against Arizona, it's another alternate night. Yep. Uh, all right. So, so I have nothing for Ristolainen, in which by that point he'll have played, what, eight games as a flyer? If he scores a goal, I'm done for. <laughs> um, like, like, truth be told, do you sit there and hold your breath? Seriously. Do you sit there and hold your breath for, oh, I don't have a graphic made yet for Zach McEwen? No. Like. Like you kind of sit there and go, well, that's one that you kind of have to deal with. Like, and even even, like, he's different, and Patrick Brown will be different because of the fact that they're mi- almost like there was no preseason for them. Like, I would have loved if there was at least something for Ristolainen from the preseason that I could do, and maybe I'll try to dig and see if I can't find something good. Yeah, I'm sure you can find something. All right, so but you know, but you know what I mean. Like I'm sitting here going, everybody else isn't like, like I got use out of those graphics on what day would it have been? Well, I guess Monday because Ellis gets his first, Broussard gets his first. I've been using the Atkinson one like crazy. Yeah, like, like crazy. Joel Faraby got used some use on his, but that's an old one. You know. Yeah, I mean Drews has been used three times as well. Who else am I thinking of that has a couple? Konechny. Connectney's had a few. Connectney looks really good, by the way. Early Connectney, on, Travis Connectney looks strong. He had a he had a little bit of a like that that grouping had. A, see, it's hard to categorize it as just a rough game because here's the thing: you end up as like Drew Connectney guys like that. You end up as a minus three, but you're a minus three for what reasons? Shorthanded goal against, which did come off a turnover, but it's tough like to be it's tough to be like the guy in Connectney's shoes where you're playing down low. So you have no shot to be involved in that play on a counter rush. You're just kind of along for the ride. Uh, he did he did turn the puck over from behind his own net with three deep uh, on the goal the, the rush the other way. Right. So that's a rough look in the final minute. Um, and then one's off the empty netter. Like rough way to be a, a minus three, but not one of their best nights. But hard to argue when they did play contain. With Boston's top line as much as they did, like you handed, you went from Boston's top line to here's Alexander Barkov. Have fun. <laughs> That's a tough couple of days, and it doesn't get much easier uh, with Connor McDavid coming next. So right, I mean. The good. Th- that's why I think the good news is is that like I actually kind of like the fact that Vancouver's the game after, 
because you get a team that you've seen already that you have something on. Right. A little bit of familiarity and, with. And, and, and more than that, like, what was the reason that you didn't beat Vancouver yet? Like, the reason you didn't beat Vancouver that first game was you made a lot of mistakes in your first game of the year that probably prevented you from doing so. Because if you were, you know, I want to say down a goal, but, like, there was a way for you to have allowed two, maybe three at most in that game, and instead you gave up four and then lost in a shootout as a result, and you had to play frantic comeback just to get something out of it. Like, hopefully, way... hopefully this team looks a little more uh, composed this time around, and we get a little Absolutely. bit of a better, absolutely, but a little bit of a better sixty-minute effort, not you know the last ten. Yeah. But all right, and uh, on that note, it's time to send the Flyers to Western Canada. So we got a couple of games this week that we'll be back next week to talk about, and uh, you can find that show wherever you found this show. You can find it on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Podbean, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SportsTalkPhilly.com. Make sure to follow the show on Twitter at YWT Podcast and follow Kevin at Kevin underscore Darso. Uh, make sure to follow at Sports Talk PHL and at Flyer Delphia for all your Flyers coverage as well. It's officially season time. You got to see those graphics that Kevin has made. And uh, with that being said, I don't, I don't really think there's much more to do here. I think we're kicking them out to Western Canada, right? Taking a, taking a day off first, though. <laughs> That's true. And uh, after that, after that, there won't be too, too many days off. And uh, we'll be back next Sunday to talk about all of them. So maybe a few. We'll see. (laughs) Not too many. (laughs) And uh, we'll be back next Sunday to talk about it. So until then, see ya.